Nobody is growing young. Everybody is growing old. Peter Pan, of course, he didn't believe that. He refused to grow up. But Peter Pan, of course, lived in Never Never land. The realism of the thing is that we are born to age. Therefore, aging is something that needs not to be resisted, but to be embraced. Growing old is not just a matter of adding minutes to hours and hours to days and days to weeks and weeks to months and months to years. Groucho Marx said anyone can get old. All you have to do is live long enough. But there's more to growing old than that. It isn't just a case of adding time to time. James Serber said, I'm 65, but if there were 15 months in every year, I'd only be 48. You can manipulate the numbers, you can massage the years however you wish. It's the aging that matters. We're called to age. We're called to embrace the different seasons of life. As we go through the various seasons of life, of course, the objective is that as we go through the aging process, we will mature, we will develop, that we will become increasingly what God intended us to be. It's not just a matter of getting old, it's a matter of getting better. As we unfortunately look at the aging process sometimes, it almost seems that we get crabbier and meaner and more selfish and more difficult, which is the exact opposite of what growing old gratefully and gracefully is intended to be. We have followed the story of Joseph, and we've seen him in all kinds of situations. We saw him as a brash teenager. We saw him as a young man victimized and abused. We saw him conducting himself wisely and well in a place where he was betrayed. We've seen him in a situation where he was falsely accused and unjustly imprisoned. We've seen him conducting himself so well because God was with him that God was able to give him success in whatever he did. We have seen him rising to the pinnacle of power, but in Genesis 48, which we look into today, we see him in a different environment. We see him in the environment of the family. We see him as a man in middle age, the prime of life, in the context of dealing with his aged father, and at the same time handling the concerns of his young sons. It's a generational thing. The old man has got old. Joseph is growing older. But the youngsters are in the business of growing up too. And as we look at these three generations, I believe we can learn some things about growing old gracefully and gratefully. Let's take Jacob first. Jacob is now having to come to terms with failing faculties. That's one of the delights of growing older. When he was young, he was very vigorous. He was very active. He traversed the land. He was 
moving all over the place. Now when they want to get him from Canaan down to Israel, they know he can't make the journey, so they send special carts for him. He's 130 years of age when he finally arrives in Egypt. When Joseph brings his sons to meet their grandfather, Jacob, we notice that Jacob is suffering from short-term memory loss. That happens to us as we get older. It's rather fascinating to me to notice that Joseph has brought in his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, brought them in to their grandfather. They've been there some time when suddenly the old boy turns around and says, who are these? Uh, Well, that happens. You, You forget who your own grandchildren are. You forget their names. You call them by the wrong name. But whilst you have short-term memory loss, the funny thing about it is that the old things remain the same. So you'll notice that he talks about a place called Luz, L-U-Z. It it has been known as Bethel for about a hundred years. But as far as he's concerned, he's living in a time warp. That's what happens when your faculties begin to fail. He's having trouble with his eyesight too. Poor old Jacob, his faculties are failing. The tragedy is this, that sometimes when people's faculties begin to fail, they lose sight that they still have residual resources. A French philosopher said, the true evil of aging is not the weakening of the body, but the indifference of the soul. I think what he meant was this, that the tragedy of getting older is that sometimes because we see a weakening of our faculties, we assume that we no longer are significant and we have no contribution to make. But as far as Jacob is concerned, we learn something very, very critical about getting old. It is this, you may have failing faculties, but you do have residual resources and they are designed for you to make crucial contributions. There is something that the older generation can and must continue to contribute to the succeeding generations. Jacob teaches us that. Age is an opportunity no less than youth itself, though in another dress. And as the evening twilight fades away, the sky is filled with stars, invisible by day said Longfellow. What he's putting in poetic form is this simple truth, that there are perspectives that age will give you that are not available to other people. It is in the twilight that you see the stars that are invisible by day. And older people need to believe it, and younger people need to respect it. Job said, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? And the answer is yes. But in our predominantly youth-oriented society, where youthfulness seems to be what really matters, we're in danger of missing out on the crucial contributions that the aged are uniquely equipped to make. The first thing that I want you to notice about the crucial contribution that Jacob makes in this story is that he gathers the family around and reminds them of spiritual roots. This is what he says to them in verse 3 of chapter 48. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. 
A little bit later on, he talks about, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. In other words, because he's an older man, he is spending a lot of his time living in the past. This is a source of amusement to younger people, that older people seem to spend a lot of time living in the past. But we shouldn't be amused. We should realize why they do it. It's because they're going to have more past than future. And if you know that you're going to have more past than future, then it is perfectly logical that you will spend a lot of your time thinking about it. But there are lessons of the past, including the reminder of spiritual roots. Jacob is able to look back to Isaac. He's able to look back beyond Isaac to Abraham. He's able to look back to the fact that God was at work in the life of Abraham, and God was at work in the life of Isaac, and he's able to testify to the fact that God was at work in his life too. In other words, he is able to identify specific roots and is able to show how they have taken root in his life and have flourished and blossomed. Some of you can do that. Some of you can look back and you can say to yourself, what a tremendous advantage I had. When I look at my parents and I look at my grandparents and I look at my great-grandparents and I recognize that they were the ones who invested in me a heritage. And whilst I, as a younger person, have to have a sense of immediacy about me, that everything is in the now, what they are able to remind me is this, that the now is the result of the past. And that if I don't have a sense of the past, and I don't have a sense of roots, and I don't have a sense what was involved in bringing me to be the me that I am, then there will be a major deficiency in the person that I have become. And one of the crucial contributions that the older people can and must make is they must bring a reminder as spiritual roots to bear. Some of you may be saying to yourself, I wish I could look back to parents and grandparents who gave me a spiritual heritage, but I wasn't lucky like that. Well, that that may be true, but let me suggest to you that if you were born and grew up in America, you have a phenomenal heritage. You were born into and raised in a country that has a remarkable understanding, even though it is becoming eroded and clouded at the present time, has a remarkable understanding of the Judeo-Christian principles of behavior and belief and values. You were raised in a country where you have complete freedom for worship. You were raised in a country where there's as many churches as bars. You were raised in a country where there is the Bible available to you, and more versions of the Bible than you can possibly shake a stick at. You are raised in a country where you not only have the Bible available to you, you have teachers preaching it wherever you go. You have the radio, you have the television, you have the books, you have the tapes. There is an incredible resource available. Anybody in America who is not spiritually astute has only himself or herself to blame. For the roots are here. And we need to be reminded of this. And it's the older people who can do that for us. Uh, Jacob not only reminds them of the family of spiritual roots, he also refreshes their memory concerning spiritual promises. This is what he says. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me, and he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful, and I will increase your numbers, 
and I will make you a community of people, and I will give this land as an everlasting procession to your descendants after you. Now, of course, it is possible that Jacob's descendants of Joseph and Joseph's descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, having lived so long in Egypt, and Ephraim and Manasseh being born in Egypt, it is just possible that they've got so far away from the land of promise, they have totally forgotten the promises concerning the land. And it is just possible that people living in the realm of immediacy forget not only a sense of history, but they forget that history tells us that God has been at work and he has made his promises, which he has consistently fulfilled. And it's the older person who can have the recollection of those promises. It's the older person who's been around long enough to be able to say, this is what God promised, this is what he did. This is God's faithfulness at work. And this is how we have proved it ourselves. We owe it, we older people, to the younger generation to be telling them that. The third thing that he does is he rehearses the details of his own spiritual experience. He rehearses the details of his own spiritual experience. And you'll notice as he talks about his spiritual experience, he does not focus on himself. He focuses on the one who is the key to his spiritual experience. This is what he says in Blessing Joseph. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these Boys, notice how he speaks of the God whom he knows personally. He speaks of him as the God of Abraham, and he speaks of him as the God of Isaac. He speaks of him as the God of history. He speaks to him as the God who has proved himself to the generations. But it isn't just a case of, well, God was the God of my grandfather, and God was the God of my father. He now goes so far as to say, and God is my shepherd. There are some people who got a godly grandfather or a godly grandmother, and they look back to their godliness and assume that their godliness will in some way work over and cancel out their godlessness. It is necessary for you to recognize the godliness of a godly grandfather and the godliness of a father or mother, and then to recognize that this godliness has to be translated into your own personal experience. And you need to be clear about it, and you need to be able to articulate it to the generations that come along. You need to be able to say, the God of my grandfather and the God of my father has become my shepherd, and he has led me all the days of my life. We owe it to the rising generations to be able to show them that the people that we are is directly related to the God who is in our lives and what he has done in our lives. But he not only talks about him as the God who has been my shepherd all the day of my life, he talks about him as being the angel who delivered me from all harm. In other words, Jacob is able to say, I have been in all kinds of fixes. I have been in all kinds of impossibly difficult situations. Some of them were the result of my own stupidity. Some of them were the result of the wickedness and the chicanery of other people. But I have gone through all these things, and whilst I'm able to point out, quite frankly, that there were extreme difficulties in my life, 
One other thing I can testify to this is I've come through them, every single one. The proof of it is I'm here, and the reason I've come through it is that God has been my angel in all these situations. You know one of the things that I believe we older people can do? I believe that we can gather around us at times, even though they may be somewhat reluctant to gather, our families, and we can rehearse to them our own experience of the Lord. And we can remind them of the promises of God. And we can tell them again all about the roots of our spiritual experience for which we are to be so grateful. It's rather interesting to notice that as Jacob begins to rehearse his spiritual experience, he did the same thing to Pharaoh. 17 years earlier than the incident we're looking at now, Jacob had arrived in Egypt. He had been ushered into the presence of Pharaoh. This, of course, was intended to be an overwhelming experience. I mean, Pharaoh was the big cheese. Pharaoh was the one who was in control of everything. In fact, Jacob was coming down there totally dependent on Pharaoh's graces. But no one seemed to have told Jacob. And he comes in, 130 years of age, and totters up to Pharaoh sitting on his throne and proceeds to bless Pharaoh. (laughs) Pharaoh's thinking to himself, this old man doesn't seem to realize he's come to be blessed by me. Who is he to, to be blessing Pharaoh? He blesses Pharaoh, and then, without being invited to, he begins to give his testimony. But that's what old folks do. They have nothing to prove. You see, they don't have to stand on ceremony. Uh, They've seen it all. They've been there. They've done that. They've got the T-shirt. And so, what's the big deal? And as far as life is concerned, they can be completely relaxed, and they can bless Pharaoh, or they can bless the president, doesn't matter who it is, and they can be quite happy and open and free in giving their testimony. And this is what he did. And you notice how he begins his testimony? He says, the days of my pilgrimage. That's how he refers to his life. The days of my pilgrimage. This is something the older you get, the clearer you understand, that life is a pilgrimage. Or if you like, we can use the words of the old spiritual. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Now, the further through you've passed, the more you realize you're passing through. And the closer you come to the end of your passing, the more you realize that your passing is imminent. And therefore, you have no difficulty at all in seeing something that you ought to have borne in mind all along, but in the pressure and immediacy of youth and middle age, you forgot. And it is this, that life is a pilgrimage, that this is not permanent, that you belong to heaven, that you are made for eternity. And it's the older people who have the ability to see it, see it sharply in focus, and are able to convey the fact that life is a pilgrimage to others who in the pressure of life or in the excitement of life may either be inclined to disbelieve it or too busy to ponder it. The older people owe it to the younger people to be able to articulate the details of their own spiritual experience. They need to be able to talk about their pilgrimage. You know, one of the ways that you could do this, and I would would recommend this to you older folks. You can decide who the older folks are. It's somebody 15 years older than you, I know. 
But let me make a recommendation to the older folks. And it is this. If you've got a camcorder, next time you have the family together, set the camcorder going and get the family, your kids and your grandkids, to ask you questions about your life and put it on video so that for generations to come, they may have the opportunity of hearing your story. Hearing your story of how God was your shepherd and God was the angel who delivered you and how the God of your father and your grandfather and your forefathers was faithful to the end. They need to hear it. Because in the pressure of the immediate, there is a lack of a sense of God at work in the affairs of men and women. Life is a pilgrimage, says old Jacob. He said, my life has had its ups and downs. My life has not been all it should have been. He said, my life has been full of years, but a shortage of days. That's a a strange sort of saying, isn't it? It's been full of years, but short of days. I wonder what he means. I think what he means is this. I've lived a long time, but I haven't lived long enough to do all that I should have done. Or if you put it another way, I've lived a long time, and I sure missed a lot of opportunities. I've lived a long time. I've sure missed a lot of opportunities. There is a sense in which old age can be a time of regret. There is a sense in which as you age, you look back and you say to yourself, it is amazing how much time and energy and money and interest I bestowed on things of secondary or tertiary importance. It is amazing how blind I was to primary issues. It's not unhelpful for the older folks to tell the younger folks that because it is a little reminder of the fleetingness of life, of the transitory nature of existence and of the importance of getting priorities right. I had the privilege of spending a little time with Dr. Billy Graham. I was commenting to him about a review of Dr. Graham's autobiography, which is entitled Just As I Am. The review by Robertson McQuilkin was called rather cleverly, Just As He Is. And it's a wonderful review. It's a wonderful book telling the story of this great man of God. It was rather interesting as I commended him on the book and I commended to him Robertson McQuilkin's review. He shook his head rather sadly and he said, Oh, if I only had it to do over again. Could you imagine Billy Graham saying that? If I only had it to do over again. And he went on to talk about the things that he would have done differently. But you see, that's getting old. That's getting older because, you see, it gives you the opportunity to look back over a life full of years that was a little bit short on days. Not that we were short of time. It's just what we did with the time that was given to us. Now then, the great wonderful thing about it is this. If the older people can convey this to the younger people before the younger people are the older people, think of all the wasted time that won't be wasted. And think of all the investment that could be made that otherwise might not get made. So there is a crucial contribution that the older person can make. It is a crucial contribution of reminding the family of spiritual roots, of refreshing the memory of spiritual promises, 
and rehearsing the details of spiritual experience. But then there's a fourth thing that the older people can do, and that is that they can relay the benefits of spiritual blessing. So old Jacob, 147 years of age, sends for Joseph and his sons, and he says, bring your boys here. I want to bless them. And it's rather interesting to me to notice that in this particular scene, who is in charge? Now, Joseph is number two to Pharaoh. He is master of the situation. No, he isn't. Old Jacob is still in charge. And old Jacob is the one now who says, I have the ability to convey spiritual blessings to these children of yours that nobody else can convey. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And to Joseph's chagrin, he then begins to bless Ephraim and Manasseh, not in the way that it was supposed to be done. You see, the special blessing should have gone to the older son and the lesser blessing to the younger son. But Jacob reverses it. He is the one who's in charge of the situation. He is the one who has insights into the situation that Joseph doesn't have. And he is the one who is able uniquely to impart spiritual blessings to these succeeding generations. And it was ever thus with older people. And I suppose one of the things that the older generation should be thinking in terms of is this. What are the crucial contributions I am making spiritually to the rising generations? We spend a tremendous amount of time talking with our financial advisors. How to handle our tax when we die so that we will have lots in the college fund for our kids and their kids. We are particularly concerned about putting money away so that the educational needs of our children are met. Well and good. The question before the house right now is this. How much do we recognize, we older people, the crucial contribution that we are called to make in imparting spiritual blessings to those youngsters that no one else can impart? I've been privileged to have grandchildren. I get to see some of them quite frequently, others less frequently. I have no idea what they think of old Popper. Occasionally they give me some indications, and it's not usually particularly flattering. But one of these days, old Popper will be carried out feet first and buried six feet deep. And then one of these days, perhaps in succeeding years, those grandchildren of mine might think of old Popper stew. And I wonder to myself, what in the world will they think? Will they be able to say, he, funny old stick that he was, imparted some spiritual blessings to us for which we'll be eternally grateful? That's my prayer. Something interesting happened in our family. I want to read to you an email I sent to my three children this week. Just a brief note to let you guys know that my Aunt Mabel, my late father's only sister, passed away early Sunday morning, aged 96. She'd been complaining for some time that she wanted to go to heaven, but the Lord didn't want her. But apparently he changed his mind. We rejoice with her in her translation to glory. And we now confront the fact that the Briscoes are deficient one more generation. This spurs us on to live while yet it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. So, my children, be encouraged as the rising generation. 
Be encouraged to continue to hold high the flag of faith which the Briscoes have carried generation after generation after generation. God bless you, Papa. That's my vision. As the old patriarch of the family now, the oldest surviving of the Briscoes, that's my vision. That I might be able to impart some spiritual blessing. That I might be able to remind them of spiritual roots. That I might be able to rehearse before them my own spiritual experience. That I might refresh their memory concerning the spiritual promises. Because you see, one of the great advantages of age is you have your ability to see the big picture. While all this is going on, Joseph is getting a little bit frustrated. He's getting a little bit frustrated because his father seems to be confused. And Joseph is used to running Egypt, and his father can't even recognize his two grandchildren. And so when the old boy gets his hands crossed and gives the wrong blessing to the wrong boy, Joseph tries to correct him, and uh, Jacob will have none of it. No, he says, you're not going to correct me uh, because I still know what I'm doing. I still know what I'm doing. I might be mildly gaga. I might have short-term memory loss. I might be shaky on my pins. I can't see very well, and I do live in the past. Granted all that, but there's still some things that I can teach you. That is one of the frustrations for the person in his prime who is used to being in control. For the person in his prime who's used to being in control isn't usually in a learning mode. The person in his prime who's used to be in control is usually in a teaching and controlling mode, and that is one of the difficulties of the person in his prime, to accept the fact that with all the sheer pressure of ability that he is exercising, there's still growing to do. There is no such thing as arriving. Jacob continues to speak to Joseph in a way that I suppose only a father can talk to his son, even if his son is the second man in Egypt. He reminds Joseph of his destiny. This is what he says. I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Joseph, my boy, says the old man, to this younger man in the prime of his life, who is busy running Egypt and organizing food supplies for the whole of the east end of the Mediterranean. Joseph, my boy, listen to me. God will be with you, and he will take you back to the land of your fathers. Why is he saying that to him? He's saying that to him because there's always the possibility that Joseph will get so entrenched in Egypt, he'll forget about Canaan, the land of promise. You know the danger for the person who is at the prime? The danger for the person who's at the prime of life is that he might become so busy and so indispensable and so responsible and carrying such a pressurized life that he forgets his sense of destiny. And that surely is the challenge for the person who is busy growing older through the prime, that he does not become so entrenched in the immediate that he loses sight of the ultimate. Not only does Jacob remind his son, of his sense of destiny, he also reminds him of the place of blessing. 
And he reminds him that God is the one who will be the source of blessing. Now, we've seen Joseph understands this, but Jacob doesn't feel it is redundant to keep on reminding him. For he knows as the responsibilities build up and the pressures build up, it takes an unusual fortitude and faithfulness to be able to maintain the source of blessing and the sense of destiny. Joseph says something here that, of course, demonstrates to us that he has not lost his sense of calling at all. When old Jacob says to Joseph, who are these boys here? I've just had them introduced to him, you remember? He says, Joseph says, they're your grandsons. They're your grandsons. You know who they are, Papa, don't you? And uh, No, he didn't say that. He says, they are the sons God gave me. They're the sons God gave me. You see, his calling is not just to be second man in Egypt and care for the food supplies of the lands at the eastern end of the Mediterranean. His calling is to be a father to his boys. That's his calling. That's not all his calling, but he must never lose sense of the fact that these boys are not his boys. These are the boys that God has given to me. But you see, we can become in the prime of our lives, so busy, so pressurized, so responsible, so confident, so used to taking control, so in charge that we forget our destiny, that we lose touch with our source of blessing, and we forget our calling. But we have the incredible privilege, even in the prime, to grow in a sense of destiny, in an experience of blessing, and in a sense of calling. Which leaves the youngest generation. The boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, are standing by while all this is going on. And probably, as is usually the case when old folks are talking, and the, the, the kids are saying, this is boring. Boring. They can even make the word boring. Boring. Uh, but, but it's a good thing for the, uh, for the kids once in a while just to listen to the old folks talk because they, they could conceivably learn something. And let me just say to our young people here that you are in the business of growing older. I know that may come as a shock to you, but you are. You're in the process of growing older. And in the process of growing older, let me encourage you to make sure that three things are factored in. Number one, as you're growing older, make sure you're growing up aware of the past. Make sure you're growing up aware of the past. And I'll tell you why this is so necessary for young people. Because young people always think that they are the original youthful generation. That no one has ever been young before them. That is one of the fatal misconceptions of youth. How do I know it is true? I've done it. We did it. How do I know it is generally true? Because you try to get a young person to listen to an older person, tell them what it was like when they were young, and their eyes will roll up in the top of their heads, and they say, oh, here we go again. Here we go again, playing his tune. And they have no patience and no interest with the thing. Why? Because they think they've nothing to learn because they're the first ones who got it right. And the simple fact of the matter is this. Young people who have no sense of the past, you can bet your bottom dollar, will get it wrong. 
For we are told that if we do not learn the lessons of history, we are damned to repeat them. And so let's make absolutely certain that our young people are being given the opportunity to grow up aware of the past. And then let's cope with the business of helping them grow up adequate for the present. Let's make sure that we are aware of the unique opportunities and the unique pressures to which they're exposed. And let's make sure that as much as in as is, we who are the previous generations are making the resources available to them to grow up aware of the past and adequate for the present and alert to their prospects. Alert to their prospects. Keep on asking people the same question. I ask people this question in practically every counseling session I have. My favorite question is this, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, keep asking the kids that. And make sure that you're not imposing on them what you want them to be when they grow up. Make sure that you have this fundamental belief about those children that God has given you. And it is this, that he plans for them. And your noble calling is to help them identify what he had in mind. If young people are going to grow up, they need to grow up aware of the past. They need to grow up adequate for the present. They need to grow up alert to their prospects. And if middle-aged people are going to continue growing, they're going to continue growing fully recognizing the sheer pressure of running Egypt and caring for their older parents, and caring for their younger children, and to recognize that in the sheer pressure of the immediacy of their lives, that they do not lose sense of calling, blessing, and destiny. And for the old folks, and I are one, what are we called to do? We are called to recognize the fact that our faculties are failing, but that does not mean that we do not have residual resources. What it does mean is we can make crucial contributions. And it is imperative that we do. So here's the final question. Because growing old is a serious business, and I'm doing it, the big question is, am I doing it well? Am I growing older Well, ask yourself that question and answer it before God. Let's pray together. Father, we spend so much time in our culture now identifying differences that it's such a joy to concentrate on the really important things, which are the things we have in common. And one of the obvious things we have in common is we're all getting older. Nobody is growing young. And as we ponder this whole process of being born to age in order to move on into eternity. Help us to take seriously the days that you have given us. Help us as we're young people, not just to think in terms of what we want to do now. Help us to grow up maturing in our understanding of what it means to be little people who will grow into big people. Help us to discover what that's all about. Give us what we need in order that this might happen. If we find ourselves in the prime of life, 
in the place that is invigorating and exciting, full of energy and opportunity, with tremendous demands and pressures on our time. Lord, help us in the pressurized situation to use our gifting well, but to do it in such a way that we never lose sight of our calling. And we never get out of touch with our source of blessing. And God forbid that we would ever have a clouded sense of destiny. And for those of us who are older, may we be fully aware of the fact and not try to hide the fact that our faculties are failing, that we're not the people that we were. But also help us to recognize that this does not make us redundant. It does not make us irrelevant, but that there are conspicuously crucial contributions that we can and must be making. Deliver us, dear Lord, from the retired-from-life mentality. And help us, dear Lord, to make sure that we're investing in the precious generations that follow hard on our heels. In all these things, dear Lord, we ask that you might be honored and glorified. As the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of Joseph, God of Ephraim, God of Manasseh, God of Billy Graham, God of Aunt Mabel, God of each one of us. May we see the great continuity of your working down through the ages, down through the generations. May we, in whatever generation we're part of, be cognizant of the fact that we're called to be yours, bring you glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.